Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Man in America. I'm your host, Seth Holhouse. Today's show is the second part of the two-part interview with Corey Lynn. If you haven't watched the first one, uh, it's okay. They're not necessarily in chronological order, so you can watch or listen to it after this. But this is the the continuation of that discussion. And in today's show, we're going to be taking a deep dive into outer space. And so here in America, we're used to companies moving assets offshore, right? As a, whether it's for tax haven or legal immunity, et cetera. And, you know, most people understand how that works, at least to, in a simple degree. But what's happened, though, is that the elites are now working on building out, and it's already you know, very, very well built, a structure, an infrastructure that's off planet. So we're talking data centers and massive techno- you know, technology centers literally flying through space on you know these satellites and, and out in outer space. And so if you look at what's happening and look at the rollout of you know, this technocracy they're trying to impose on this, the frightening thing is, is that it, the infrastructure it, for a lot of what they were doing, digital IDs, et cetera, largely exists in outer space. And it will work very closely with uh, the Starlink from Elon Musk and a lot of the other uh, infrastructure up there. So imagine, you know, massive data centers. So the, the data centers that are running the AI that's controlling your social credit score or your central bank digital currency, these are data centers literally in outer space where very, very few laws exist. And so, you know, it's like if we thought that offshoring companies was devious, uh, this is off-planeting, uh, you know, not just companies, but off-planeting this technocracy infrastructure. And so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty serious to look at, but Corey has done, uh, my guest Corey Lynn, you know, from Corey'sDigs.com has done a massive investigation into this. This is going to be a very, very eye-opening uh, discussion. So folks, please enjoy this interview with Corey Lynn. And as you can probably see, it, or not see, it's going to be an audio-only interview. It's just how Corey does her interviews. All right, folks, please enjoy. All right, Corey, welcome back. Uh, thank you again for that first interview. And, and I'm excited to dig into the next, uh, the next deep and dark and frightening topic, unfortunately. Well, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me, Seth. Absolutely. So on your website, uh, coreysdigs.com, um, you know, this is, you know, you've recently published an article called Space, the new frontier for the central control grid. And I recently listened to uh, the interview that you did with Sarah Westall talking about this, which was my wife had recommended and was pretty blown away by this because here in America, you you know, if if someone says, oh, why does Apple pay taxes, for instance, like, well, they've got all these offshore accounts and the companies are registered in the Cayman Islands and it's like, oh gosh, you know, only the only the big elites or the wealthy people can actually figure out how to uh, offshore accounts and everything. And, and that seems like a big deal that gives them a lot of immunity and privileges as, we, as we've talked about. Um, but <laughs> the case that you're talking about now is how outer space becomes not how these you know, companies or organizations, not how they just offshore, but how they off planet. So let's, I'll just, I'll pass it over to you to start walking us through what this looks like. Yeah, it gets a little crazier and crazier with each report I do, it seems. <laughs> so I, I had to break this one down because this, this took an enormous amount of um, reading and I cite over 160 pieces of evidence in this. And so I broke it down into subsections, um, which I'll just 
quickly cover so people understand kind of the the full scope of this because right now i think everyone thinks we're having oh look we have rockets going here and they're talking about colonizing mars which is likely not going to happen and we have elon putting up all these satellites to help people get on the internet and i think that's about the extent of what most people see going on uh but it's there's a lot more going on in low earth orbit so I started out with brush strokes because there were a lot of important stats and dates of significance and then got into uh, Deloitte's financial services industry predictions because this all ties into the, like you mentioned, offshore, the financial system, as well as the control grid and AI and data centers and solar and all that good stuff. So I get into the... Um, surveillance control grid aspect of it, the space-based data centers, space-based solar systems, believe it or not, satellites, blockchain, uh, surveillance and weaponry, which is space fence, and space laws, which we can kind of just chuckle at. They're pretty much non-existent. And um, how quickly, you know, this is moving with the digital currency end of things. Uh, I... I almost broke that out into a separate report and I may actually take that section and create a separate article because I want to make darn sure people see that part of it because they've, they already have the infrastructure for the CBDCs in place. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, and so we can, we can get into that. Uh, so where would you like me to start? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, ba- basically, I'll give a summary of how I understand this and then I'll I'll hand it over to you. So it's, as we've looked at understanding the control mechanisms of how the, the cabal or whatever you want to call it, refer to the, you know, the, the the control oligarchs or the, uh, these, you know, blood sucking monsters, whatever you want to refer to them as, but in understanding how they are working in putting in this control grid, we, we see that, they have control over a lot of our governments, a lot of our corporations, uh, the media, big tech, et cetera. But in looking at how they would actually control the world, it would require a, a vast network of technology. And I've oftentimes looked at that and thought, oh, okay, that's the purpose of the five grid, you know, sorry, the 5G infrastructure, that that's a big part of it, et cetera. But what you've helped me to understand with this is that that infrastructure at the highest level, I mean, literally and figuratively, is actually outer space and how by building this infrastructure in outer space, not only does it give them vast global control, but it also makes it so that they have, in essence, like the ultimate immunity. I mean, you can't like what laws govern space? I mean, out in the ocean, you know, you can get away with a lot because there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, international law doesn't extend, a lot of laws don't extend into the ocean, but this is a whole different story. So um, walk us through, let's just start with the, like the infrastructure of what this is and what's being done in outer space and how, for instance, outer space and the technology in outer space would be used to uh, roll out, say, a digital currency? Okay, so they're building, they're building out, we already know they've, they've got thousands of satellites up there um, that are doing a lot more than just handling the internet for people. So, so that's one aspect we can get into. But the data centers are really important, and they've already uh, tested this. Hewitt-Packard um, tested their first edge computing data center is operational in space with AI capabilities. And the European Union has teamed up with Thales Alenia Space to uh, deploy data centers by the early 2030s. So they want satellite-to-satellite communications, and they say that the uh, space provides a, a cooler environment, there's less energy usage, there's no vibration, and they state that uh, quantum computing is ideal for this environment, and that the neural network computing and financial data centers will require this high processing capacity, because we already know 
that in order to roll out blockchain and digital currency to the scale, global scale that they want to, it's going to require an immense amount of power. So by doing this in space and and putting in data centers, and then you have your satellites, which with Starlink, for example, they have uh, lasers that beam from one satellite to the next and can transfer data. So they're building a net, uh, a mesh network. And if you go into, and I, I have a link in the report and you look at the visual, the interactive map of the globe and of space, and then it shows where all the star Starlink satellites are, you can see it's quite a perfect grid that they're forming. And so then how do we power this? We get solar power systems up in space and so you've got, I mean, multiple countries are working on this. The U.S., U.K., European Space Agency, China, Britain and Saudi Arabia, Australia, Japan, Russia, India. They're all working on this. They have been working on this. In fact, NASA was talking about doing space-based solar systems to replace fossil fuels back in the 70s. So what they want to do is because satellites are powered by solar panels and lithium batteries, they figure if they build these platforms in space, they can draw energy from the sun 24 seven and, you know, help to power the, the satellites and the data centers. And so that's, that's a big part of it. And then, but what then, (laughs) this is the crazy part. They say, well, then what we'll do is we can create more solar energy for Earth and we'll beam it down and we'll set up, you know, receiver ends like in Japan. I, I forget what they call it. It's a certain kind of a film almost that they put on buildings and they're saying, well, we could, you know, funnel it down to there. And then other other countries are looking at different mechanisms to where they would have kind of like how we have a solar field of panels now. It would be some kind of a receiver from this beam, which then I'm scratching my head going, well, what happens to birds and airplanes and stuff that get near these beams when, you know, and I found I wasn't the only one concerned. There were a lot of scientists concerned about this. So part of that, I feel like is a cover story, um, you know, under the the climate hoax, how we can provide more solar power to earth when I think really what they want is just to provide it in space for their offshore system where they have a bird's eye view and full surveillance of everything. So those are, those are key points there. And then we get into the satellites alone and we've already got, you know, Starlink already has, um, I think over 5,000 up there. And they want to have 42,000 as soon as possible. But Arthur Furstenberg tracks satellites and he says that between those approved and those that are already in operation, because they have to go through an an approval process. So they haven't all necessarily launched yet. Many of them haven't, but a lot of them are in operation, a lot more than we're being told. And that he sees uh, soon over 400,000 up there. So with the uh, Starlink, when you get into the satellites, it's not just the internet. You know, the the Starlink satellites can do a whole lot more than that. They work with um, the Air Force to link the Starlink satellites with multiple armed force systems. And they, they carry out exercises with ground forces and submarines and, and ships. Uh, to, you know, shoot down a cruise missile and a drone. And so uh, they're they're building out uh, Starshield, which is a whole other, SpaceX, when I say they, is building out a whole other um, grouping constellation of satellites specifically for government and military. And then they actually state in their documents that the Starlink satellites, which are, you know, allegedly being told that they're just to get us all powered up on Internet. And whereas, yes, they do that because that's a key factor when you want everyone tied into the grid. So we do want that, but they're being used for more. Those 
laser beams that can, you know, the mesh network they're creating, that can also link over to the Starshield government satellites. So now and transfer that data there. So that's concerning. And and then we have uh, with in October 1st, the U.S. Army's Joint Tactical Ground Station uh, Missile Warning System officially transferred to the U.S. Space Force, which, you know, processes the satellite data and disseminates uh, ballistic missile warnings. And on October, or I'm sorry, August 2022, for the first time ever, all military SATCOM capabilities were consolidated under one service and transferred over to Space Force as well. And so there's a lot moving into under Space Force. And then at the same time, this just happened in the past month, Space Force comes out and says, you know, we're going to work on a strategy and a guideline where we need to work with uh, commercial companies in both peace and wartime so that their satellites and their you know, space assets can be utilized to help the military. And so you start looking at this bigger picture and gets a little concerning there for me. Oh, for me too. So basically it's, if we look at their control system, it's built on technology, right? Looking at, looking at communist China as an example, they've got cameras everywhere and they have, uh, you know, an extensive, extensive uh, you know, network, you know, 5G network, everything, big data centers. So it's kind of like with this idea that the, to that's just China, but if their plan is to enslave the whole world, they're, it's almost as if they're building a digital cage around the world and that these satellites and these, these, the, uh, te- this technology up there, it's not just satellite that is sending and receiving information that there's data centers up there. So let's say that they're ready to roll out the global digital ID, which ties into a social credit score. And so say I'm traveling in France and I want to go to a a cafe or buy a train ticket hypothetically versus me doing that in Brazil that with under this system, there's this global centralized digital tag or ID tied to me. It's tied to my social profile. So whether I'm, you know, say buying a croissant in French or a plate of rice and beans in Brazil, that's communicating back and forth with these data centers out in outer space with all the AI on them that's tracking where I'm at, tracking what I'm doing, that's tracking to make sure that, hey, you know, Seth, you you, know, you can't buy that stake in Brazil because your your carbon credits that are allotted for eating meat have been used up for this month. Right. So it's it's not just that, oh, the satellites are, you know, giving us internet and, and whatnot, but actually that they become the, the brains in outer space, which is also concerning because I mean, what if, you know, there's people that want to prosecute these companies that they say, hey, you're using these data centers for nefarious activities. Well, it's floating in outer space. I mean, talk about kind of being off grid or being outside of outside of any government oversight. Right. Yeah. And here's so here's the thing: the right now the data there's a ton of ground based stations where the data from the satellites is you know pinging from, but in the future now that they have like the lasers and they're creating the mesh network, ultimately the goal is to not even need these ground-based stations. I mean, obviously there will be some where they're controlled by the controllers, but not set up in a way like how you see cell towers everywhere, you know, where they're just accessible to the public. So there will be no destroying these and there will be no access to them. Hey folks, I've got a quick message for you. So I'm sure you've heard a lot of people, myself included, talking about the importance of buying precious metals, gold and silver. But what's really behind that? Is just they 
thing of, hey, buy this gold, buy this silver, right? Or is there something deeper that we should be looking at? So I recently came across some figures about house prices. So in 1930, the average family home was approximately $4,000. Fast forward to 2023, the average family home is just over $400,000. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? Is it because things have just gotten more expensive? No, it's actually because the dollar has lost 99% of its value since 1930, right? When people talk about the collapse of the dollar or inflation, this is what it means. Now, let's take a look at gold. So in 1930, if you wanted to purchase your home in gold, it would take approximately 200 gold coins. So 200 gold coins would purchase the average family home in 1930, about $4,000. Now, if you, instead of buying a home with that gold or cash, you set those aside. If you set aside $4,000 in cash in 1930, it would be worth $4,000 today. What can you buy with $4,000? Can you buy a family home? No, you can't even buy a, a crappy used car. But if you set aside $4,000 worth of gold coins in 1930, which is 200 gold coins, one ounce coins, that would be worth approximately $400,000 today. And this is the key lesson about precious metals. It's not about getting rich. It's about putting your money into an asset that protects you against inflation and against the destruction of the currency, which is what happens to all fiat currencies, especially now we're in the end days of the dollar. And so that's why it's important, maybe not all of your money, but a portion of your money, a portion of what you have, I highly recommend putting it into precious metals of gold and silver, because what it's doing is it's protecting you. This is an asset that has stood the test of time, not just stood the test of time since the 1930s. We're talking about the rise and fall of civilizations. Gold was used to buy houses back in ancient Rome. It's still around. It's an asset that will forever have its value. So folks, if you want to do this and you need something you can trust, there's no person I can recommend more than Dr. Kirk Elliott. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a strong Christian patriot, and he's out to really help people to protect their savings and what you've worked for against the destruction of the dollar, not to mention also protecting it against the dangers of a central bank digital currencies. So to learn more about this, go to goldwithseth.com or call 720-605-3900. Again, that's goldwithseth.com or 720-605-3900. Both those places will allow you to set up a quick appointment where you can talk to a wealth advisor that will help get you started on this path. Again, goldwithseth.com, 720-605-3900. And I personally believe, and this is just my opinion based on research, that they want to move the whole financial system through there to where everything is just interacting through your cell phone or through your computer and a brick and mortar no longer becomes necessary. Um, I, you know, the Tony Blair Institute for global change, getting into the blockchain and the financial end of this. So a quote, a quote from them is blockchain will provide outer space with an immutable and automated information ledger until the end of time, the transaction is there and tamper proof. And so JP Morgan, they were the, uh, they tested the world, of course, it's JP Morgan, tested the world's first bank-led tokenized value transfer in space. And I have the uh, demo of that in my report where they executed this via a smart contract on a blockchain network that established um, between satellites orbiting Earth. So the payment, they, they did like a payment, right? That went and it showed it pinged off the satellite and then to another, and then it came back down through the cell and it said, okay, your money's been transferred. So JP Morgan says, and this is their quote, space exploration is becoming increasingly well-funded and presents an exciting opportunity to deploy financial technology to create a brand new payments infrastructure leveraging blockchain. So there's... Other companies that are working on blockchain have already been working on blockchain in space, including, you know, NASA and Space Chain and IBM Space Tech. We've got Bitcoin, Ethereum. I mean, this, this stuff is already in the works. Uh, crypto China, 
they've, they're working on an interesting one. Just in July, they launched a first ever satellite to carry blockchain imaging and screening system for on-orbit visual blockchain multi-signature authentication, video visual broadcasting, visual remote sensing data storage certification confirmation. And this is all under the guise of spectral information on agriculture, water, minerals, and for emergency safety. And to me, it just, you know, I mean, that just seems like a giant spyware. <laughs> oh, so, it's, 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 it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. But, and so I'm, I'm only partway through reading your report, which is quite extensive. Um, so I, I don't feel that bad for not having done my, my complete <laughs> research before our conversation. But one you know, question that arises in this, and I, and I want to get your thoughts. I know you talk about it in the report, but I want to hear it from you on Elon Musk. Because I remember when, when Elon Musk first bought Twitter and there were all these, these people, oh my gosh, this is the white hats are in control and Elon is, is working and, and with, with, you know, to, to free us from the cabal. And he, he became, I'm sure you saw, there were the uh, memes everywhere, you know, glorifying Elon Musk and, uh, and everyone has thought that he was just this, this kind of white knight coming in to, to save people. And you know, I have to say that if you look at how he's, he's followed up with his actions since buying Twitter, that a lot of that, I would say, has come true. I mean, look at what he's commenting on and what he's talking about. He's, he's you know, sharing stuff globally about the jab and, and, and injuries related to that. He's, um, now he's going, what he says is launching a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters, which I'm sure that some of the censorship you've experienced is related to Media Matters. I mean, they've been a, a, a very, very key weapon in shutting down free speech. So a lot of his actions look really good. On, you know, but when you look at Starlink and you look at the digital infrastructure, and if you look at even what he's talked about with X and, and, and X as being this app and how he's, you know, as you mentioned on your website, talking about how, quote, Elon Musk um, would like X to be the everything app where users can tap into their entire financial world on a platform he hopes will run half of the global financial system. So what are your thoughts? While he chips your brain. Exactly. So, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, how do you balance everything you're looking at here with some of the things like, for instance, the lawsuit against... uh, media matters and, um, you know, exposing a lot of things that we've been trying to expose for quite some time. I mean, how do you put that all together? So here's what I would say. I've been following the patterns of what he's done and when people come to his rescue versus who's attacking him and, and, and what the media, you know, is, is saying Not alternative news, but what the media is saying, and this is what I see. I see that they he's there to befriend people and walk them off the plank. And if I'm wrong in the end, I will own it. But that is what I see. It's like uh, Sean at SGT, we were discussing this, and, and he called it good cop, bad cop. And I said, that's exactly it. Because what happens is they'll come out with something on X uh, like his, you know, WEF CEO now will say something about how they're going to basically some new form of censoring they're doing, but they're trying not to call it censoring. They're so, they're so free speech, but we're going to crack down on this and then we're going to crack down on that. So then everyone, including those that said he was a white hat, get angry and they start coming at him and saying, look, this is supposed to be free speech. What are you doing? You need to stop this. And so then immediately a story will come out where, you know, Biden administration's attacking him or, or advertisers are attacking him or the ADL is attacking him. And then everyone, you know, he becomes one of us and everyone needs to jump to his rescue because he's now the victim and he's getting targeted the way we're getting targeted so people can relate to that. And so there's this constant back and forth, but there's no real repercussions for him or X or their business. And as far as him saying that 
uh, you know, how he feels about the jab, whether that's true or not, is irrelevant because it's all in the past. This has already been done. So making any claims now is not like standing up to something in the beginning and saying, put a halt to this. It's already happened. So uh, what just recently happened with Media Matters, I don't know. I'm going to see how that one plays out. They have to they have to keep him from what I can see as far as with everything he's involved in that is nefarious, they have to keep him as the good guy, the friend to everyone um, to keep drawing people in because they have to constantly produce a level of hope to suck people in. Otherwise, you know, you can't just charge out negative stuff and expect people to get on board with it and for it to trend. So you have to have some people that are working both sides and I believe he's one of them. That I see. I see. So it's don't get don't get um too led away by our uh, you know, feeling that gosh, I wish somebody uh, that had money and power would would come to help us. Yeah, I mean his his whole thing is, look, I want to start with this Neuralink chip and we're going to start with people that are paraplegic and we want to help them be able to walk and hey, that's fantastic. I think that would be really cool if they could do something like that um however he wants to eventually have it in i think it was twenty two thousand people but i can't remember the date now but he wants soon within several years he wants to have this chip in twenty two thousand brains and eventually evolve it to where you can play games and do all kinds of fun stuff with this chip in your head and And then he'll go and do interviews and say, well, we have to be able to combat AI because they're going to try and, you know, the bad guys are going to try and use AI against us. So in order to combat that, we have to use AI to against that, or we're not going to be able to compete or survive. So therefore everyone get my Neuralink chip in your brain. You know, it's just, I just, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. It's kind of like saying, we got to go build an atom bomb before the Nazis do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. And then there's the whole financial end of it, um, which, you know, he wants to eventually bring uh, crypto into X. And like he said, could, you know, run half the world's finances. There's a competition, uh, That was one of the things that was interesting to me when I was working on my book and I got into part four on the blockchain and and digital currency. And I had my whiteboard out and I'm breaking down all these different corporations and organizations that are involved with this. And I'm going, there's actual competition. Like this isn't as cut and dry as you would think. Everyone wants a slice of the pie. So they're not necessarily going to say we don't want uh you know we're gonna we're gonna do away with crypto completely but we're gonna instead take crypto and we're just gonna kind of control it more see i think i think bitcoin too and people will argue with me about this i think bitcoin was used to lure people in many years ago and to build up a trend i mean they have to do these things in order to get an initial group of people involved in something to tell their friends, you got to do this too. Hey folks, I have a quick message for you. Thank you so much for watching, listening to this interview. I have one small request. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, could you please share this interview with one person, just one person? Because of censorship and shadow banning, it's so hard to get this content out to more people. And the only way we can really do it is when you help by sharing it. So if you like what you're listening to, Hit pause, share it with one person. It helps so much. Thank you so much. And I'm not saying that in a in a good world or in a way where it could remain uh, decentralized, that crypto would be a bad thing. It could be a very good thing. But I seeing what they're doing is they intend very much on centralizing everything, even though they will try to make the claim that they're they're not centralizing it. So so with the financial end of things, if I can jump into that, because I want to make sure we include this. Yeah, that's the next topic I wanted to, to, to dive into because I've talked 
a lot about central bank digital currency and 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 the just how nefarious it it, it is in controlling us. And so I, I want to really want to hear what you had to say about CBDCs and how it fits into this system and, and what that looks like. Yeah. So first, I want to I want to point out that this is from a report that I pulled from 2022 from a Bank for International Settlements report. And I want to read this, this one paragraph because it's, it's vital information. They say, it needs to be noted that many of these features can, in isolation, be offered by other payment innovations, and many gaps could be addressed through regulation and sound oversight arrangements. CBDCs may not be necessary because combining different payment innovations, such as open applications programming interfaces, which is APIs, fast payment services, contactless chips, and QR codes could achieve many of the same goals. This is particularly true when accompanied by robust regulatory and oversight arrangements that public authorities can use to catalyze private sector players, enforce sound governance arrangements, and foster required coordination and collaboration. And so what they're referring to is they're saying, look, we don't need CBDCs right now. We've already got the goods. We've already got the infrastructure in place. In 2021, they already rolled out the uh, fast payment systems, which is like real-time payer-to-payee. So they did this in over 60 countries. And PayPal's already involved. And Venmo's already connected in, and they're working on connecting in Zelle. And so what you have is the under the fast payment systems, you then have, let me see if I can explain this. So so you remember when FedNow rolled out the gateway yes. that they were piloting? And I, I, I want to say that was like July. So they started with about 35 main banks, and they said, okay, we're going to roll this out. And most people didn't even know because... They don't, the banks probably didn't even notify them or, you know, it was some little newsletter and people don't even read it. And so it's basically, if for an example, if you were going to go buy a cup of coffee and you use your debit card or, um, yeah, your debit card and it's running through your bank, there's a gateway that has to connect that through that it has to move that money through. So FedNow is the, that gateway that moves that transaction. And they also call it, refer to them as rails. So they they rolled that gateway out in July. And then since 2021, which by the way, fast payment systems was um, funded <laughs> by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I know that's Imagine a great that. shocker. <laughs> so... So then what they did is then the Federal Reserve creates this QR code working group under the Fast Payment Systems Council. And they want to, you know, build out the whole QR code system through they want the banks to drive this. So also, they just in March of this year, they upgraded the ISO standards, the messaging standards, which is the data that's attached to that transaction that tells it what's happening when that those funds move through those rails. And what they did is they essentially added the ability to have far more data. So when I see that, I go, well, of course we need far more data because when you're building a whole new social credit system, you know, we want to make sure we're moving all the proper data through. Oh, she just bought a cheeseburger. Oh, no, not too much carbon emissions being output here. And, you know, so so all of this was put into place. The infrastructure's there. And then just in September of this year, banks ran cross-border payments and they tested this, excuse me, through France, the, the central banks of France, Singapore, and Switzerland. And they said, okay, so we now know that we can run the CBDCs through cross-border gateway. <clears throat> excuse me. And so therefore, because everyone is still up in the air over whether we're going to do CBDCs, uh, and we may even change the name. They don't say this, but I'm saying this because too many people, it's been out there for too long and there's been too much, you know, anger about it. So they might end up changing the name of it. So I would say, keep your eyes out for that. But what they're saying is they've got 
the fast payment systems gateways in place. They've already got the structure so that countries can now operate the digital currency. And now it's just a matter of snapping into place and piggybacking the cross-border payment that they've um infrastructure, you know, gateway that they've created, you can just piggyback that right onto these fast payment systems and then go, boom, send the CBDC through the central bank digital currencies. So the infrastructure is already there. And right now it's kind of a waiting game, seeing how they're going to roll this out. And of course, we've got the the battle going on with BRICS and I, you know, I don't know. And and then you have DeSantis, who I believe put, passed some, put out an executive order on uh, saying that their state is not going to work with uh, CBDCs. And I look at it and go, well, how does that work? You know, how do you separate it? And is he talking just through government um government facilities you know they refuse to use and operate with cbdc's if they do lock those in place and then how does that work if they're dealing with funds from state to state or out of the country that part i i don't know i don't know how they tie this whole web together exactly but i know they already have the infrastructure in place and i know they're looking at at running it out of these uh, data centers with blockchain in space. And as far as space laws go... Folks, I have a quick message for you. Look, the 2024 election is do or die for the globalists and communists that have infiltrated our country and are currently running it. And they either have to win or they're going to destroy America so nothing is left either way. And if you're the person that's watching this show and following this information... Unfortunately, you have the weight on your shoulders of making sure that your family is prepared, especially as we head into this next year and this next election cycle, because unfortunately, I think it's going to get rough. And one of the ways I know they're going to target us is through our food supply. You can see all the food factories burned down. You can see the warnings of coming famines and food shortages and everything like that. And food is one of the number one ways totalitarian regimes have always used to control the population is destroy the food supply. So if you don't have at least two, three, four, five, six months worth of stored food, I highly recommend you take that very seriously. Because look, as I mentioned, if you're the person that's watching this, you're the person that carries the burden of making sure your family is prepared. I would recommend at least six months, if not a year of storable food. So if things go haywire, whether it's grid down or terrorist attack from what's coming across the border, that your family can safely stay in place and you can feed your family. So folks, today, go to heavensharvest.com and make sure you get your storable food that'll last for up to 25 years. Just in case things go south, you know that you have what's going to take to feed your family, which is so, so critical for us to get through this next stage of history. So go to heavensharvest.com today, order your food that will last up to 25 years, and use promo code SETH to save 15% on your entire order. Again, that's heavensharvest.com and use promo code SETH, S-E-T-H, to save 15% on your entire order. It's really weak. I have the whole list of all the space laws in this report so people can go in and look at it. And basically what you'll find is a lot of it's voluntary and it's just verbal agreements and it's just arrangements. There's no hardcore law and the laws that are there have more to do with uh, military than full-blown surveillance over civilizations and running financials through there. So there's really no jurisdiction over it. And it's like the, the most beautiful offshore haven ever. And how do you think, let's just say that they were going to roll out the CBDC, which, and I can see the point that you're making that it's kind of like the infrastructure is already there, whether you call it CBDC or not, if they wanted to start tracking, controlling everything they could, but there's a lot of people that have cash on hand that they, which they can spend. They might have silver or gold, which they could exchange locally for cash or they could use it for direct bartering, et cetera. Um, so, and I think that a lot of people, especially here in America, especially after, you know, the, the three years of, you know, the, the lie of, of COVID and the pandemic, I think would not be very trusting of this and might resist just you know, converting their entire savings and checking account into some digital token. And so, have you thought about 
when or if they're it's going down the path of an of an absolute central bank digital currency, how they would actually accomplish that and how they would get the whole world or even a, a country like America to all be using this system. Because if, let's just say, if a, a quarter of the American population refused to use, use this system, they probably wouldn't be able to successfully implement it. Like they, they would really need a very high rate of, of buy-in, whether it's through force or whatever means necessary. So how do you think that they would achieve that if, if it's even possible? Oh, convenience and safety, Seth. That's always their answer. So everyone's already, you know, uh, this this was the big push for crypto. So they already got a big group in on crypto that are familiar with working with it from that angle. Then you've got everyone using their debit cards or PayPal or Venmo or Zelle. So you've already got, uh, you've already established at one point or another, pretty much everyone's used digital currency, just not in the way that they want to track it. Um, Though they are tracking a lot of that (laughs) already. So I, I personally think they're going to do part of it by force while also part of it through convenience. So we've already been seeing the, the convenience rollout for the past decade or two. Um, and they're going to continue with that. And who knows, the banks might come out with some new fancy things like, hey, look, if you do this through the QR code, you can now just swipe. Like, for example, Walmart, The they have, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of his name. But Walmart, uh, through the Fast Payments Council, oh, it's Matt Howard. Ho- I don't even know how to say that. Howarder? Uh, he's the Fast Payments Council chair because Walmart started over a decade ago implementing the QR code as a swipe and pay method. So I think we're going to see it through a combination of stores rolling stuff out because they've already got these the equipment at most stores do at their registers already. And although I did see a little bit of backlash, I just saw an article the other day saying that some stores are removing the self-checkouts now. Yeah, because, I saw that as well. Because of, I'm like, well, that's interesting. So so I think they're going to do it through through stores and through banks simultaneously. But then I also think they're going to pull off some, some big cyber attacks and scare people and uh, say that, don't worry, we've got your back. If this, you know, if the bank is attacked, we're going to cover you and this and that. But in order to ensure uh, more protections and safety, we're really going to have to start doing these QR codes because we don't want people to be able to hack your account. So I think it's going to be through fear and convenience. Which I, I guess it's it's the, it's the carrot or the stick, right? And that's, that's, yeah. that's, what, they, that's what they do. And so and, and I, I've you know I've talked to people before, um, you know, like Martin Armstrong or other folks, and and you know Cliff High, and we've had some interesting conversations about this and about what the rollout would look like, and you know whether it would require a banning of cash, for instance, or a uh, like Martin Armstrong, he seemed to think that they would at that point uh, ban the sale of precious metals. Right, so the people that already have it, they have it. They can they can use it in these kind of black or gray markets to to exchange things. But that they would shut down uh, the exchanges where people can go, you know, convert you know cash into these precious metals, which are really the uh, the Achilles Achilles heels of a digital you know, infrastructure because they can't be tracked at all. There's no serial numbers, a kind of dollar bill even. So, I don't know. If, I don't know if I see that with precious metals, but one thing that they have done, and I expect to see a lot more of this, is they've started putting out ATM machines. So I was. I remember when I was digging into this, and I saw that in um, it was New York, and I can't remember if it was California or somewhere else. But I was a little stunned when I saw that. New York had passed some law stating that businesses can't turn down uh, cash. And so 
I'm like, I don't get it. Why would New York of all places do this? Well, it's the perfect setup. So you've got an operation, like let's say a theme park or a concert facility or something. And you set up these ATMs, which they're doing, where you now insert your cash and it gives you a card to then go shop and use that card because that business doesn't want to deal in cash. But since this law was passed, they have to come up with another method. Therefore, let's start installing these ATMs everywhere to suck in everyone's cash. So I could see something like that going on. I don't know about the precious metals though. I'm not, I'm not really feeling that. And then you've got I mean, who could even potentially order that? Because you've got state sovereignty. So um, I don't know. I imagine they'll be, you know, another thing is, is they could, once they get this moved through the banks, the bank could simply say, oh, sorry, we're not taking your cash anymore, but we're happy to convert it to digital. And then boom. So I use, you know, I use cash 90% of the time. There's still some things I need to purchase online, but anytime I'm out and about anywhere, I always use cash. Yeah. which and is it's a, it's it's a, a good, good point. feeling too. Cause then you're also not being tracked, you know, even like the rewards programs, you go into a Walgreens or, you know, any of your stores that have the little barcodes you swipe or you enter your phone number. Well, now it knows exactly what items you purchased. It knows exactly what Walgreens location you were at. And I just, I don't like that. There's just so much spying. And and there's those people that will say, well, I don't care. I have nothing to hide. I did a whole article on called, I have nothing to hide that people should read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny just because the more we, we dig into all this stuff, it just makes you like, it's like, well, Maybe I should just, you know, get like a hundred acres of of land up in rural Alaska and it's going up there and you know, it's just kind of, you know, they'll still you know, see you from they'll still see you from space though, Seth. <laughs> I know, I know. Then I'll I'll make all kinds of like big graffiti in my yard that you know, draw a big middle finger out of logs or something <laughs> to show them what I think. Um so well, Corey, it's 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 been wonderful speaking with you. And, and I hope that whoever listened to this episode also caught our first episode together. Um, I just want to uh, implore the audience to to check out your work, uh, coreysdigs.com. It's C-O-R-E-Y-S-D-I-G-S.com where they can read your work and support you in various ways. Uh, just, yeah, a big, a big thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being uh, an intelligent voice that's putting this information together and for giving folks like me your time. I, I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing and thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Take care and God bless.